0: Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaVerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you.
1: Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaVerge on Faith Radio.
0: Good morning. Good morning again um, today. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to hour two of Mornings with Carmen. If you missed the first hour, hey, I don't mind telling you. It was excellent. You can uh, get it later today at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Um, if you um, if you haven't visited us recently at MyFaithRadio.com, um, let's just pop over there for a minute and see what's happening today. Uh, you can still participate in our um, effort to highlight the ministry of one child. If you missed the opportunity last Thursday or Friday to meet the child that's waiting to meet you, that is still an opportunity that is available and open, $39 a month. You can become a sponsor for one child. By changing the life of one child, you change the world. And so would love for you to consider um, that today as an opportunity set before you. We also... Um, continue to have the one year Bible reading plan available and the verse of the day, um, on and on and on. Great resources available at myfaithradio.com. If you've never visited with us before, you can get a welcome packet um and instructions there for those of you looking um, on how to download the Faith Radio app. All of it, all of it, so much more. Um so visit us at MyFaithRadio.com. dot com. What have you been um praying about and what have and who have you been praying for? Those are some um, questions uh, on my on my heart and mind today. Um, remember, you can always text me during the show eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. All right, some things to know as we head out into this day. Uh, the former president Mike Pence also has uh, some documents marked classified at his house in Indiana, and so those have now been turned over to the FBI. Um and so I think that you know everyone who has ever had any sort of classified clearance is probably now looking around saying to themselves you know I I I don't think I have any but uh maybe I should look so um that's going on this document this classified document conversation is going to continue there are um there are now multiple investigations related to it and uh and so we're going to ha- take a wait and see posture um, say, you know, the truth matters and knowing the truth in each one of these situations matters and each one of these situations are unique. And yet, you know, obviously the common thread is, uh, the United States of America has a classified document problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the long, that's the short of it. There's no long of it. That's the short of it. Uh, more than a dozen reported tornadoes uh, struck communities in Texas and Louisiana yesterday, damaging homes and businesses. Want to be, um, praying for folks. Um, you know, who are our neighbors in those places and the experiences they're having there. Uh, Encounters along the U.S.-Mexican border with um, people seeking to migrate to the United States, um, you know, still in excess of 7,000 a day. Um, And so we want to be, you know, praying um, and I mean, I have this, like, long sigh because there is—it's um, such a complicated mess. Um, precious people is what we're talking about. Precious people. And I think that every time we start talking about um, policies and um, and issues related to this, as Christians, we need to hit the pause button, and we need to recognize that these are precious people. Yes. Are there some bad guys among them? Yes, absolutely. Do we need a secure border? Yes, absolutely. Are there precious people? Um, Absolutely. And so let's just try to hold all of that uh, in our hearts and minds. Um, Obviously, uh, the war continues in Ukraine, and we don't want to avert our prayers from that either. Um, And so on that front, Germany says it is going to send Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine um, following uh, a lot of diplomatic pressure globally to do so. The United States is finalizing plans to send 30 Abrams tanks um, into Ukraine as well. That um, That is going to escalate uh, in terms of the view from the Kremlin involvement from the West, from NATO allied countries. And so um, I expect there to be some rumbling as well. Um, and in other news, uh, it appears their uh, Oreos has a new cookie flavor. I don't know why they just keep messing around with um, with things that don't need to be messed around with. Um, we don't need a Lady Gaga Oreo. We don't need a Pokemon Oreo. We don't need a Ritz Cracker Oreo. That's just ridiculous. We just need an Oreo. I, that, that's what I have to say about that. How do you eat your Oreo? If you'd like to weigh in on that, You know, I'm always available. 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Next up, we're going to check in with Heather Zeiger. She's our science writer. We're going to talk about the ethics of life and death. So let me straight up ask you, do you have an advanced directive? Do you have a living will? Have you had the hard end of life conversations with the person you love best in the world, the person that's going to be making those decisions on your behalf when you can no longer make them yourself? Yep, that's the conversation. Up next, you're on Mornings with Carmen.
1: She, me with she with
0: Heather Zeiger is back. You can find her at HeatherZyger.com. Um, Heather, good morning.
1: Good morning, Carmen. Do
0: do you eat an Oreo, and if you eat an Oreo, how do you eat an Oreo?
1: I twist it apart, eat the non-cream side first, and then I eat the cream side.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm a dip it in milk, but not to the total soggy point. Like, that's kind of, you know, I don't want to, you know, so anyway, yeah, I'm a definitely a dip the whole thing in milk kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, and for those who, um, you know, have are now... Uh, breaking my text machine. Uh, The new flavor is called the most Oreo Oreo. It's basically a cookies and cream stuffed Oreo. I don't know. Just sounds like an Oreo with broken Oreos in it. It's an Oreo Oreo. I don't know that that's a new flavor. Um, Heather, let's talk about um, end of life, the ethics of life and death, advanced directives, living wills. Like when we talk about having the kinds of conversations we all need to have with the people who love us best in the world. Um just maybe talk with us about you've been in this conversation for a long time. Um, you have written about Terry Shivo. Um, you have thought a lot about this. So uh, just lead us into this conversation as an ethicist.
1: Yeah, so I think the first thing is uh, the scriptural reference, Psalm 90. Teach us the number of our days so we may have a heart of wisdom. I think for a lot of us, especially those of us that live in the United States, live in a Western country where we have fairly good health, fairly good healthcare, we like to put off the thought that we might be sick, we might be disabled, or we might die. We like to put that off to another time. But the reality is that we don't know what tomorrow will bring, and we want to be in conversation with our loved ones so that they aren't because you know your spouse or one of your closest relatives someone that you choose is going to be your substitute um they're going to be making decisions for you if you for any reason are incapacitated or you're in surgery and um you're you're under anesthesia they will be making decisions for you and so you want to have those conversations you want them to not be in a position of trying to guess what to do under duress. It's good to have these conversations before the emergency situation happens. And those conversations can happen in steps, but one thing you can do is have a living will, have an advanced directive so that you can, um, that forces you to have those conversations again, before you get to that emergency situation. It's very hard to have these conversations when you're in the waiting room of a hospital.
0: Um so I've had uh, a number of these conversations with families in the midst of those moments, and part of what I encourage people to do now whatever wherever you are in terms of your stage of life uh and in you know sort of the variable stage of health, whatever that looks like for you right now, have a values conversation, yes, absolutely. have an advanced directive, have a living will, all those wonderful things, but have a conversation about your values Um, because the specific decision that your loved one is going to have to make might not actually be enumerated on your list because technology is not today where it is going to be the day the decision has to be made. And so... um have a values conversation as well, and have a list of your values and uh, in, included with those advanced directives and um, and living will information. We're going to continue this conversation with Heather Zeiger in just a moment. Um, and I we've we've both read an article by a guy named Zeke Emanuel um, who who has said, you know, at seventy five, I'm going to change the way that I approach healthcare. I'm no longer going to do anything particularly. Um, you know, preventative or treatment-oriented, really. And so um, how do you think or feel about that? Like, is there a stage of life at which you're going to just say, you know what, I am pro-life from conception to natural death, and it's not wrong to let natural death come naturally? Have you thought much about that? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Maybe you're thinking in this new year you'd like to change the world. Well, you can start by changing the world for one child. We're partnering with one Child Again, and you can sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. What happens when you sponsor a child through one child? Well, you're going to be linked to a boy or a girl who lives in a country other than your own, uh, and you're going to help supply for their tangible needs. Yes, they're going to receive the gospel of Jesus, but they're also going to receive educational assistance, supplemental food, clothing, healthcare services, and opportunities for love, friendship, and encouragement The cost is just $39 a month, and you can sponsor a child right now at MyFaithRadio.com. So if you want to change the world this year, why don't you start by changing the world for one child? Sponsor a child today at MyFaithRadio.com. We're continuing our conversation with Heather Zeiger. Um, she thinks a lot about and writes a lot about uh, I- issues of life and death. Um, and so, Heather, I want to talk with you about um, the conversations that you've been having as a bioethicist um, about death, the dignity of um, of dying with palliative care, um, the ways in which even Christians um, maybe rely too much on medical intervention when the reality is, um, death draws near. Can you talk with us a little bit about, um, families, even Christian families failing to accept that their loved one is dying and allowing that person to, um, naturally die without excessive medical intervention. Like these are the hard conversations we all have to have.
1: Yeah. So, um, so first of all, I've I've been my head has been in this place uh, because I, I'm working on a uh, managing editor for a book project where we're looking at what is appropriate and ethical care for the frail elderly, and sometimes what you would do for uh, someone who's forty or fifty years old you wouldn't do for someone who is frail and elderly um, because it's actually more burdensome. It's more it's it's harmful, and something that I think sometimes we don't understand with um, our medical interventions. You know, we want to do everything possible. And in doing so, we end up with a loved one who is in ICU. Uh, They're under, you know, all of this um, medical, those machines. And to what end? What are we trying to do? And uh, I've, I've met, I've talked with people who they are pro-life, and they think the best application for pro-life is to eke out every ounce of physical, biological life they can in in their loved one by saying, yes, of course, do everything. And what happens is that instead of having um, perhaps some meaningful interactions, peaceful, meaningful interactions at the end of life, instead they are in this uh, rather traumatic situation in ICU. So... That's when you need to start thinking about, and it's perfectly fine, and even I would say pro-life and ethical from a Christian bioethics standpoint, to recognize that there comes a point when your medical goals change from curing to caring, and that's okay. That isn't some, you know, passive euthanasia, that isn't like I'm giving up on my loved one. As Christians, we need to hold in tension the fact that, yes, we're pro-life and life is a gift, but life will end eventually, and our hope isn't in technology and medicine and science. Those are helpful, but there will come a point when those things can no longer, um, they are no longer helpful. They aren't curative, and that's when uh, I worked with palliative care physicians. That's when you switch your goals to comfort care to a more uh, because people think, oh, you know, dying is going to be painful. Well, actually, we have very good palliative care here in the United States and in Europe where you can have um, meaningful interactions with your loved ones at the end of life. And those are important times as well. Um, we, we used to have a tradition um, back before we had modern uh, medicine that those times it was a communal time people would gather mm-hmm. by the bedside they would pray together they would have last words and this was an important part of the entire life story
0: i'm i'm remembering um just hearing somebody uh actually call into a different radio program and um and share about this and saying that because her father she's an adult but because her father had chosen not to have Treatment that would have um, made him unable to communicate with his children up to the point of death. Um, Instead, he said, "You know, I just I'm going to die." Like we're and and invited um, his children and his grandchildren and friends. Like over the course of the couple of months that you know doctors told him he could expect to have, um, and over you know those weeks, um, said the things that needed to be said, did the things that needed to be done. Um, And for the last several days, as you're describing, there was a bedside vigil of sorts. And this woman, you know, being able to say, my dad taught me more about living while he was dying than he ever taught me, like over the course of my four decades of life. Um, And so there's a lot that we can learn from those who are dying um, and and allowing them the dignity of making their own choices about whether or not they have certain kinds of medical intervention is really important. And giving thought to our own values in relationship to these decisions is imperative as well. Heather, I'm wondering um, if you would be willing to share a little bit of your own story related to all of this. You and David have had an experience over the last couple of years that, um, you know, that is relevant here.
1: Yeah. So, um, In 2020, I was, and so it was a couple months after my 39th birthday, I was diagnosed with a rare cancer, and uh, it's appendix cancer, and appendix cancer is one of those things that it, no known cause, and can happen to anybody, men, women, any age. I met someone who had appendix cancer when she was 15, and then, uh, you know, the average age usually skews more towards 55 or 60. Uh and there's subtypes, some are more deadly than others, and anyway, so you know, I was always a healthy person. Cancer is not a prevalent thing in my family and thankfully um and so this this happened actually uh we had the the doctor's appointment that you never want to have where they tell you the news on Ash Wednesday into february twenty twenty and it was one of those where it's like, OK, you need to go to the oncologist tomorrow. I have him on the phone and the oncologist says, hey, are you open for surgery in a week? And I, I said, well, I guess I'll have to clear my calendar. Right. Uh, so and then it was about six months or so of a pretty aggressive uh treatment. Um, for me, it, it, because of the t- subtype that I had, it's a low-grade cancer. It was not. It was not high-grade, um, and although it had, it was spread throughout my abdomen. It's not the kind where it's the types of cancer cells that you're used to, where they're aggressive. So, it, the treatment did work well for me. But because I was going through all of these, uh, you know, a couple of surgeries and other treatments, um, my husband and I had just done a living will the previous year in 2019. And we did so at the behest of one of our friends, uh, someone we knew who, uh, she was younger than we were. And her husband had collapsed at work and he was in a coma for, gosh, I want to say a month or so. And she said, you guys get power of attorney. That would have made everything so much easier if if we had done a living will and I had power of attorney. And so my husband and I did a living will and then... It turns out we needed it because for every one of those procedures, because uh, for surgery, you know, I'm under anesthesia. So my husband is making this, would have to make decisions for me. And in each of those cases, it was a, an issue of, we don't know for sure what we're going to do. We have to get in there and see how the cancer has spread. And it was so much, you you almost could see the, uh, the, the person that was helping us at the hospital because, you know, they don't expect someone our age to have a living will or um, power of attorney. And so they, they're they ready to fill out all this paperwork for you. And they're like, do you have power of attorney? And it's just, you hand them you hand them the document and it's almost like the pen goes down and they're like, great, this makes it so much easier. Um, and power of attorney means that uh, I've legally laid out that my husband is my decision maker. Here's, you know, here's advanced directive. We've had uh, conversations about what uh, my preferences are, that kind of thing. It made everything much easier. Um, the hospital has it on file. It's legally filed. It, it really, when we were talking with people, it was almost like, "Wow, that's great." Didn't expect someone your age to have that. We'll have it on file. That's
0: so good. That's so helpful. Thank you so much for um, you know just being so forthright and honest and transparent with us. Um, you know, I just want to say, you know, uh, as a as a person who's my dad died when he was forty three, and he did not have uh, a living will. He, st- he didn't have, um, you know, hadn't articulated any of, uh, of these things. Um, and my mom had to go to court to get custody like to, to actually like prove that she should have custody of me as a minor child. And so, yeah, the power of attorney thing, um, a will and a living will, um, your end of life care choices, like really, like it hugely matters. Um, so, uh, Heather, thank you so much for this conversation today and for your ongoing work in this area. We look we look forward to that book.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's probably not going to come out till either the end of this year or the beginning of next year.
0: That's okay. Well, we just look yep. forward to it. Thank you so much, as always, yep. for joining us. Oh, and apparently, according to all of the people on, uh, on the text line, if I'm going to dip my Oreo, I should just dip it in my coffee and I should use a fork. No more than three seconds. That is the wisdom of the people this morning. There you go. Mm-hmm. Important things, important things. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Let's take a break for Breakpoint.
1: We meant to live so much more
2: we lost ourselves somewhere we live
0: inside. All right, a lot of news um, related to medical assistance in dying um, efforts across the United States to implement Dying with Dignity, um, options uh, in a number of states, and um, and then conversations, obviously, at the local church and familial level. Um, so, what do those conversations look like in your own household? What you know? How are you thinking about death? And you say to yourself, "I don't, I don't want to think about death." Why is Carmen talking so much about death today? Um, because it's coming for each of us and for all of us. Um, Jesus talked a lot about his own death. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to talk about the reality of life eternal. It's an opportunity for us to talk about heaven and how much we're anticipating it and looking forward to it. Who's already there? Um, and it's also an opportunity for us to talk candidly about life and the value of life. And so we're going to talk about medical assistance in, in dying, medical assistance in death um, from a Canadian perspective. Perspective? Why? Well, because Canada is um, literally pressing out there on their front foot in relationship to ending the lives of um, of people for a wide array of reasons. And there's something coming up here just in in terms of the next couple of months, um, a a further expansion to include mental illness as an eligibility criteria. So we're going to talk about. Death, medical assistance in dying, and matters of life and death with Andre Schutten. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: We are made made in the image of, made in the image of God. Beautiful shades of love.
0: All right, we're going to talk about medical assistance in death. We're going to talk about what's going on in Canada. I am going to um, highlight here at the outset of the conversation a man named Tyler Dunlap. He's 37 years old. He's 37 years old. He is not terminally ill. He is not mentally ill. He has experienced homelessness on and off for the past 12 years. Um, he has a background of traumatic experiences, and he has no hope. He has no hope. Um, and so he has begun the process for medically assisted death in Canada. Helping us have this conversation today, Andre Schutten. He is the Director of Law and Public Policy. Um, and Andre, first of all, welcome. Uh, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Um, how, how do we arrive at the place where this relatively young man, 37 years old, um, is is able to begin a process to have medical assistance in dying in Canada? Like uh, from 2016 to today is a short period of time, mm-hmm. but man, a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of ground covered since then.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, Canada's story and our our very very short history with uh, what what the uh, progressives call medical assistance in dying, which is which is a euphemism for assisted suicide, um, our history here in Canada should be a warning. To all other nations in this uh, on the in the world, uh, to not embrace the idea that we can address suffering by killing uh, a patient by ending the life of a patient. That's not how a civilized, uh, progressive country should um, uh, deal with suffering. The way we deal with suffering is by addressing the suffering uh, instead of uh, ending the life of the sufferer.
0: And so. I mean, I got to look at this this particular story with this this one individual mm-hmm. and say, okay, have people just become exasperated with homelessness? They they mm-hmm. don't they don't see a solution. Um, they don't disagree, actually, with with him. <laughs> uh, like, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that when we have these conversations, like we're talking about a massive failure on the part of the church. Ma- massive failure.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. I mean, there's a there's a huge a uh, cultural shift that has happened in the last 50 60 years um and and i think part of that cultural shift is uh, there, there's at least two parts to it one is uh, a very individualistic um approach to life so um, the, the the place and meaning of, of other people, of other relationships and of other institutions in society uh, has diminished in a big, big way so that the only two institutions that really matter anymore is the s- civil government itself, the state, and then the individual. Uh, and that's what you see with uh, the debate around medical assistance and dying in Canada is it's about, oh, it's a personal decision for an individual to make and the one who's going to provide it is the state. Um, and, and all other people are pushed out of that, that conversation uh, but the second thing is that um, it's uh, the massive change in our culture over the last fifty years is is one of um, uh, of being happy and content and satisfied and avoiding pain or suffering at all costs, um, and that's a a modern phenomenon. Uh, it's not actually the way that other cultures and certainly not the Christian worldview uh, would say about suffering over the last two thousand years and beyond. Most other cultures. Uh, have dealt with suffering in a in a better way um and so like you just said uh, I think uh, the church has some blame here that we haven't done a good job of engaging our culture also around the question of suffering uh, and saying how can we how can we walk alongside people who are suffering uh, in a way that they don't feel total despair how can we minister to people who feel uh, loneliness or uh, depression or um yeah, they feel that they just can't go on anymore. Uh, the statistics here in Canada are very, very troubling. Uh, most people who who have chosen to to make use of what is being called medical assistance in dying, which is assisted suicide, most people who choose it, they're indicating when they ask that. The reason for the request is not because of intense pain. It's actually because of things like loneliness or despair. Uh, there's even some who uh, have have yeah, indicated homelessness or financial troubles. Um, and that's telling me that, that yes, that society generally has failed, but also that the church has, has not stepped up and, and filled that gap.
0: It's tragic um, on so many levels. And I guess I'm wondering, like, who's the, you know, who is the Tyler Dunlap um, in my community? Like, who's the Tyler Dunlap who... You know because his dad died in twenty ten and he didn't have a sufficient income to maintain the house where he that he was sharing with his dad, like he became homeless and and you know has on and off relied upon alcohol to um maybe assuage the pain of life or his perceived you know the challenge that he faces um I just I I just look at this story and I say, okay, it's one thing for us to be talking about medical assistance in death for people who are aged, for people who are um, terminally ill. It's then a whole nother conversation for us to talk about somebody who is 37 years old um, Mm -hmm. and in good health, um, but Mm -hmm. for whom, you know, there is no, like, he has no sense of hope. Like, that's a whole different conversation. But you in Canada Mm -hmm. are also having a conversation about extending this to people whose only underlying issue is mental illness. Can you talk about that and what's what's like in immediate view here coming in March?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Um, so originally, uh, as you were mentioning, originally when Canada first legalized assisted suicide, it was supposed to only be for those who are at the end of life and uh, who are suffering at the very end of life. In other words, they were dying and and the prospect of their death was one that was going to be very painful. And so the way it was sold to us anyway was that that's that's the exclusive group that it's for. Um, and then there's another court case uh, a couple of years later that struck down that limit on being end of life. And they said, well, there's other people who have disabilities that are suffering, but they're not dying and they should have the right to access this suicide, too. Uh, and so they saw some of the courts and the judges and, and some politicians see medical assistance in dying as being a good that ought to be accessed. Rather than an evil that ought to be avoided and and so they 've embraced that idea and said we need to expand it, we need to expand access also to people who are who have disability and so a court struck down that limitation on on reserving it only for end of life and Parliament, instead of challenging that and pushing it up, appealing it up to our Supreme Court, they just went with it. They went with this lower court judge decision and decided to amend the law, and so they opened it up to anyone who is suffering um, uh, it, who's an adult, and, but anyone who is suffering um, and, and wants to access it could could access it. But there was a limit still in the law that said not if the sole underlying condition is mental illness. But then our Senate, when the bill went made it to our Senate, the Senate is in Canada is very progressive, and they inserted a, what's called a sunset clause, which automatically would kick in after two years. And that, that would remove that that limitation of of the sole underlying condition being a mental illness from our criminal law. And so that that takes place in March um, of, of this year. Now, there has been an outcry uh, across the country. Finally, there's been an outcry. In fact, the international community, uh, so uh, friends in the United States and in the UK and many other nations, have shone the spotlight on Canada and said, what in the world is going on in canada and so we're so thankful for that international perspective finally coming to bear in canada because i'm not sure uh, without that uh anyone be would be asking the kinds of questions that we're finally asking in this country um and so just just last month actually our our attorney general here in canada uh has said well we're going to actually delay that so we haven't seen anything tabled yet to delay the expansion to those who are um Whose sole underlying condition is mental illness, uh, but but it has been announced that that will happen, and and you know we're, we're certainly praying that in fact not only will it be be delayed but taken off the table altogether.
0: We're talking with Andre uh, Andre uh, Schutten. He is the director of law and public policy for the Association for Reformed Political Action in Canada. We're talking about Canada's medical assistance in death law. It's a, it's. Uh, inexplicable to me, uh, potential expansion to include those whose underlying, sole underlying issue is that they are mentally ill, and even possibly totally physically able people who have simply lost all hope. Um, We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment, and we're going to equip you with the resources to raise your concern into this conversation as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. There's a website, carenotkill.ca, carenotkill.ca, um... Supporting those with mental illness means offering suicide prevention and supportive care for everyone. The wish to die is always a symptom of an unmet need. Our response should be to discover uh, and meet the unmet need not to give in to the desire to die. We're talking about the value of life. We're talking about what is happening in Canada. We are talking about the medical assistance in death law in Canada. Um, We're talking with Andre Schutten, he's the Director of Law and Public Policy for the Association for Reformed Political Action in Canada. Um, Andre, talk with us about what your neighbors, not only to the South, but around the world, can do.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, certainly we, uh, I mean, as as it relates to Canada, we really appreciate uh, prayers uh, from uh, the Christian community around the world for what's going on in Canada. It is really unprecedented, I think, in, in in the global community um and then uh, any support that can be given to um things like our campaign carenotkill.ca uh, is, is the campaign that we've uh launched in order to support grassroots canadians uh christians and non-christians alike to be able to think about and talk about this uh this issue in a way that's winsome and engaging with uh other people uh other citizens neighbors uh, co-workers friends and so on uh, in a way that should open their eyes at least to see why it is that we don't want to go down this road and and certainly then i'd also say to the international community to all of our american friends i'd say be very very careful about the alluring uh prospect of opening up the door just a little bit to just allow for assisted suicide for those at the very end of life that's what canada has done uh belgium and the netherlands have also done that and and that once that door is open once we say it's okay for doctors to kill some of their patients. Uh, you cannot logically um close that door again and, and it's very hard to close that door again legislatively as well uh so please see Canada as a warning sign for uh for your own community as as something that you don't want to go down um, so you need to raise your voice as a citizen as well uh, and be engaged and make sure that your representatives know that this is not something you want for your uh, for your state or your nation
0: one of the um i think very interesting parts of this conversation. Um, and you alluded to it earlier when you talked about, um, you know, how uh, the the made law was, quote, sold to us, which that sounds like a democratic process. That sounds like the people of Canada, you know, bought an idea and voted it in at, through their elected leadership. But then you made successive mention of courts and court cases and then circled back around to Um, The inaction of Parliament, um, but then, you know, this at least short term action um, related to a pause. Is this actually the will of the people in Canada? Like, do you think if you put the made law to a vote across Canada, it's the will of the people of Canada that people like Tyler should be able to end their own life with the help of the state?
2: No, so uh, certainly the vast majority of Canadians you know, would would embrace the idea of allowing for assisted suicide for those who are suffering at the end of life. And, and while I would disagree with that majority, I think that that's a reality. But but certainly the general population is pretty outraged, uh, not only about stories like Tyler, but there's, there's other uh, men and women who have. So, for example, a, a big story that has really helped turn the conversation in Canada is that we have soldiers who have served Canada in Afghanistan and the in the war in Afghanistan over the last uh, couple of decades, who have come back home and are suffering PTSD from their experience there. And they are being offered by Veterans Affairs assisted suicide, proactively offered that by by some bureaucrat sitting in an office in Veterans Affairs. Uh, now that's come that's come forward and it's shocked the nation. Um, that that now at least four different veterans suffering from PTSD or some other disability inflicted on them because of their service to our country, um, that they've been offered this. There was one veteran, she, uh, she served in Afghanistan, suffered an injury uh, and is wheelchair bound. And she's been asking Veterans Affairs for help to install a chairlift in her home. And they can't do that. They can't s- install a chairlift in her home, but they're willing to offer her assisted suicide. And that has shocked the nation. And so I'd say that the vast majority of Canadians say, no, 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 we've gone way too far. Let's rein this in. It's the ideologues that think that assisted suicide is a good that should be made available, no questions asked to anyone and everyone who, who asks, asks for it. It's those ideologues right now who seem to be pushing it uh, to its, its farthest uh, logical end.
0: Yeah, we've got uh, folks texting in um, on the text line, Andre, you know, participating in this conversation with us and raising concern and raising their prayers. And um, and some who are saying, um, I actually, I, I know how Tyler feels. Um, I can relate mm-hmm. to Tyler, um, says a friend in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. It's a real struggle every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, he sent me a picture of the sun just peeking over the horizon. Um, I think that getting mm-hmm. up in the dark is a part of this, Um, and Mm -hmm. Christians Christians, every single day getting up in the dark and acknowledging that not only does the sun, S-U-N, rise, but the sun, S-O-N, has risen, Mm -hmm. that we have a testimony, Mm -hmm. right, that we have, we do have hope, um, and we not only hold it out for those who are in the dark, but we actually go as light. Like, there is a responsibility to Go as light. It's one thing to, you know, tell people in the, here in the United States, hey, we've got a new crisis hotline, 988. All you have to do is dial 988. Mm-hmm. Um, you have similar crisis hotlines in Canada. Um, it's another thing for me to know that a person is living in darkness and go mm-hmm. as a person of light into their life. Like, this is going to be about Christians being mm-hmm.
2: human, exactly that's so important I'm so glad you uh, you raised that and thank you so much to that friend and supporter who sent that uh, that that photograph because that's exactly correct the the Christian worldview the Christian religion uh, is one of hope and and if we if we give up on uh, medical assistance and dying is about giving up it's about um, saying there is no hope, you're better off dead. That's the that's the message that we, as a culture, are saying to those who are struggling in those dark dark moments. And I, I don't want to diminish that. It, it is very difficult. Uh, you know, when somebody uh, makes it public that they they want to end their life with the help of a doctor, um, that that like they must be in a very very hard hard place. It's not something they would do flippantly. And so we need to make sure that we understand where that pain is coming from and the only way to do that is to be in relationship with other people um you know my my work is definitely at the higher policy level at the legal level um and and sometimes i have a temptation to just stay lost up there i mean we need christians working in the in the uh courts and, and in the legislatures and so on don't get me wrong but but if i just stay up there and i don't actually have relationship with people who who are struggling with disabilities who are struggling with mental um illness who are who are struggling with limitations and marginalization in in their day-to-day life, then then I've lost touch with that that relationship, um, the relational aspect of our of our faith. And and if I can't be there to walk alongside other people, then, then I'm failing in a big way too. And so I, I can't just be stuck in the at the at the level of ideas and good policy and so on. I, I need to work there too, but I better be able to walk alongside those around me. So that means I pray Lord, open my eyes to see people around me and to see their need and to see if I can't just be a, a friend for them.
0: Mm, that's so good. Andre, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, be encouraged. We're going to be praying for you and um, and your efforts. We, um, we trust you'll be praying for us um, as well. Thank you so much for joining us
2: today. It was a pleasure to be with you, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Hey, we're going to have all the links um, where you can... Uh, not only read what Andre is writing and all kinds of information related to this conversation today, but uh, podcast access as well. Um, And that will all be in the show notes for today's program. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, that's all the time we've got. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith,